As I mentioned in episode one, four of the worst states for DUIs are some of the most northern in the continental United States, Montana, Wyoming, and North and South Dakota. That blew me away. States with such a relatively small population. I just didn't think about them having the same kinds of issues with substance abuse and driving as the rest of us in more populated and urban areas. But I discovered something in my studies. Having more DUIs per capita also means more people are being arrested and charged and being held accountable. So what looks bad on paper may actually not be a bad thing if it makes people realize that they will be responsible for the bad choices they make. You are listening to Episode 6 of Telling Lives, Season 2, Alcohol, Intoxicants, Accidents, and America. I'm your host, Elizabeth Clark. The victims of the fatal crash on I-50 dot in Shayna Monson was smart, like super smart, got a 32 on the ACT smart, and it seemed almost effortless, according to her friends. If she set her mind to do something, not only could she do it, but she excelled. She often waited until the last minute to complete tasks that didn't matter. She still made A's and won competitions. The girl's brain was a master machine. Growing up in Dickinson, North Dakota, the younger of two sisters, Shayna was the shy one. She tried basketball, but she says she was terrible. A self-described nerd, she went through phases of obsession, Beanie Babies, Hot Wheels, and Harry Potter. She kind of just kept to herself, but all the time she was paying attention and thinking. She would notice problems and her brain would contemplate solutions. One project that I remember in particular, you know, here in North Dakota, we get, during the winter, we get ice on the Highline wires, and then they start bouncing and we lose electricity. Uh-huh. And so Moved one of the projects like so that they did not bounce much. <laughs> was, was trying to develop something that they could put on the power lines <clears throat> so that when they got icy and the wind would blow, that they wouldn't bounce so oh, much. Oh, how cool. Yes, we and that's junior high? Uh, well, then, hold on. We did eighth grade and then I did, jun- like, eighth grade to junior year of high school, yeah. yeah do you remember that's what some neat. of your other projects were? I'm trying to think. Shana and her team won first place in North Dakota. National competitions. Yeah. So you were always interested in like STEM stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always a, was. That's cool. Yeah, and then, okay, hold on. The national one says Orlando. For mom Connie, though, Shayna had grown up a typical little girl, except she didn't play with dolls. Beanie Babies were the closest she came to that, and she was obsessed with them, she says. You- wasn't into Barbie dolls, hated Barbie dolls, wanted oh nothing to do with uh, Barbie Hot dolls Wheels at all. Instead, yeah. She Hot collected, Wheels. she collected Hot Wheels. 
And her activity that kept her busy is she would line them up (laughs) on the floor in here, just one after another. And she's got like two cases, like carrying cases that have a hundred Hot Wheels in each case. But if we went shopping, she knew exactly. If she had 200 Hot Wheels, she knew exactly which one she had and which one she didn't have. So she oh, never, wow. she never bought oh, one twice. Oh my God, that's crazy. <laughs> but she, that's like I said, awesome. she would spend hours <laughs> just, so just cute. lining them all up out here, and then she'd put them away, and then she'd get them out and line them all up again. Yeah, that's like when the um, world I'm not sure why I did that. That's awesome. And you still have them. She does, yes. In the, in the You're in the attic, <laughs> yes. I haven't used, I have not looked at them in like probably a decade or something. <laughs> you know, we should get them out. That would be good therapy for your hand. Shayna is sitting on the opposite end of the couch from her mom in their living room while we we're visiting in July of 2022. And I can see her mind at work. She doesn't miss a beat in her mom's memories. You can see the recognition in her eyes shining as they recall childhood moments. You wouldn't know it to spend time with her, that she had anything more than a slight speech impediment. But you'd be wrong. When Connie mentions Shayna's hands, I notice the way she's holding her hands, semi-clenched fist, her fingers curled. But Connie knows just how far those hands have come in the last several years. And now, with the help of those old Hot Wheels, the physical dexterity Shayna has been building back for seven years can continue with the help of her childhood toys. In 2015, Shana was just finishing up her junior year at the University of North Dakota. She only had 14 credit hours to go to complete her biology degree with a minor in chemistry, and then she would attend medical school, or so she planned. Shana was a planner, her mind always at work. But UND had not been her first choice. She had dreamed of attending NYU and the Big Apple. I was obsessed with like New York and everything I wanted to go out there. And then I actually applied. I applied to like four colleges on the East Coast and everything. But then I got accepted into NYU and then I also got like waitlisted at Brown. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. But then I was like, oh gosh, that's way too expensive. So I could not go out there. And I was like, oh, sad. Yeah. So you graduated close to the top of your class. I got to the top of my class. Yes. <laughs> I got to the valedictorian. Woo! You were valedictorian? Yeah, That's awesome. Was. That's wonderful. Awesome, yeah. And I was to go boo, and then I could not afford, like, to NYU or anything, so then I went up to the University of North Dakota. Which is in what city? Grand Forks. Grand Forks. Yeah. She was actually very upset with me because I forced her to apply it. Yeah, I was like, I was just like, boo, mom, I want to go to NYU. And you're like, yes. no, no. I was like, boo. Yeah. <laughs> I just couldn't see her coming out of undergrad with a $200,000. Yeah, so I was saying, hold on, because like, I think that after the first year, I think they said 90000 like that would be the loan after like the first year. And I'm like, oh, gosh, it crap. Was- Wow. I was very proud of her for being accepted there because she worked really, really hard. Um, she took her ACT test, was it three times, four times? I'm not sure, but I got a 32 or something. Got a 32. She had that set in her mind. Like I said, she, she yeah, when she set her mind to something, 
<laughs> she would go for it. I was such a you nerd. You sound so much like my daughter. <laughs> cool. So much like my daughter. What's your daughter's name? She was salutatory. Trinity. Oh my god. She was salutatorian. And she took her ACT four times because she was determined she was going to get a 32. Mm-hmm. And the last <laughs> time... She got a 33. Oh, wow. And so, like, y'all sound, and she's very STEM oriented oh. too. Y'all sound so much alike. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm a little bit jealous of her. Yeah. She just, she worked so hard though um, in school, in high school. She didn't need to. You know, things came very easily to her. Yeah. But she would push herself. She was really driven, and she would. Hardcore, no matter what, yeah. She would always do more than <clears throat> she needed to, and. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure why, I was pretty proud of her. Yeah, and then I graduated. Hold on, like I graduated with a four point zero in high school, but then I had more than a four point zero in college. I was like such a nerd like that. Shayna's senior year of high school was not a good time. Connie says, Shayna was angry and gave her mom the silent treatment for months over not being able to go to New York. Many nights, she would go to a friend's house just to not be under the same roof with her mom. Eventually, though, Shana did apply to UND, and after about a year of attending, Connie says she finally seemed happy and settled in her college home. By her junior year, Shana moved off campus with three other girls, Jenna, Jordan, and Taylor, and they all became friends. Birthday weekend, went well, no, it was the weekend before her birthday and everything. So then I wanted to, I've decided to go visit her in Bismarck. And then um, I, I was in Minnesota earlier than that. Shayna had been in Minnesota visiting relatives and decided to go through Bismarck to see her friend and roommate, Taylor, to celebrate her birthday before ultimately heading back to Dickinson about an hour away. Those were her plans for that late June weekend, 2015. She had been in Minnesota at my cousin's house in Little Falls, Minnesota, actually. My aunt and uncle, who she was really close with, that lived in my Kansas. My great aunt and great uncle, yeah, yeah. And they were, so they were great. Yeah. <laughs> um, they were visiting their daughter in Minnesota, and so mm-hmm. Shana had driven there, and she was spending a few days with them. And I knew that she was coming to Bismarck, that it was a Friday night. And I think about 10.30 or so, I texted her and I said, are you home yet? Joking. And I could tell she got real irritated Uh with me as she's like, Uh in her text, I could just feel. She said, mom, Uh I told you I'm going to Bismarck. And I I said, yes, I was just joking. (laughs) And um, she was by Jamestown. She, She told me she was by Jamestown. Little Falls, Minnesota is about a six-hour drive from Bismarck in good driving conditions. Jamestown, where Shana was when she last spoke to her mom about 10.30 p.m., is about 100 miles from Bismarck, just over an hour and a half driving time. So Shana should have gotten to Taylor Govins a little after midnight. Connie says she went ahead and went to bed, expecting to be awakened by Shana's call later. When Shayna arrived at Taylor's in Bismarck, she met Abby Rentschler, a longtime friend of Taylor's, that night, and they all three set out to have a nice time celebrating. In the excitement, Shayna forgot to call Connie and tell her that she had arrived safely. And that's the last thing Shayna remembers. 
nearby, 28-year-old Jordan Morset had been drinking himself into oblivion for hours, and by 2 a.m. June 27th, he was black-out drunk. So intoxicated, he didn't know he had gotten in his car and was driving the wrong direction on a busy highway. But another traveler that night says she will never forget. Angel Moser witnessed the fatal crash that night, according to a 2016 Bismarck Tribune article, and said it's like a bad, bad dream. She told reporters she still had fear of driving at night and couldn't get the image of watching Shana's engine being ejected from the car and lying in the middle of the road out of her head. Morset slammed into Shana's car head-on, going the wrong direction, at the McKenzie Drive exit on the Bismarck Expressway, instantly killing Abby and Taylor and critically injuring Shana. 2.44 a.m. So I went to bed, um, and I'll never forget, it was 2.44 in the morning. I woke up with a jolt, and I grabbed my phone, and there was nothing from her. And you probably know that mom gut feeling, that instinct that you get. I immediately knew something was wrong. And so in my mind, I was trying to talk myself down saying, you know, Shana always said, no news is good news. Um, Mm -hmm. The girls probably just got really busy talking and laughing and she probably just forgot to let me know that she was there. And I bet not even less than five minutes later, my doorbell rang. And I got up and I looked out the window and I saw a highway patrol car setting out on the street. Both of Connie's girls were traveling that weekend. And any of you listening who are parents of driving children, you know, it doesn't matter how old they are. You worry. You always worry. And my daughter, Carrie, was at a wedding in Wyoming that same night. But I, I just, I knew I sensed it was Shana. And so I turned to walk out of that room to go back to my bedroom saying, this is just a bad dream. (laughs) And then it's like, but no, I'm wide awake. So I opened up the door, and um, the first thing the officer asked me, he said, are you Connie Munson? And I said, yes. Is it Shana? And he said, yes. Every parent's worst nightmare had come to Connie's doorstep. Could she reverse time and close the door, pretending they weren't there, and go back to bed? Go back to sleep and end this nightmare? It can't be real. It can't be true. Magical thoughts fill your mind. How to make this go away? But it was real, and Connie braced herself for the next question. He said she's been in a bad car accident. And I, I just flat out asked him, is she dead? And he took, it seemed like forever, he took a real big swallow and, and I just braced myself and he said, she's in critical condition in the hospital in Bismarck and I've been told to take you down there. Connie called Shana's dad, who lives just a couple of minutes away, and the officer drove to pick him up and they all rushed to Bismarck. The officer knows what the Monson family does not. Shana isn't expected to live, and her two passengers, Taylor and Abby, died at the scene. 
On the drive, Connie said she started calling family and friends despite the hour. She needed support, and Shana needed prayers. I, you know, started calling her friends, even though it was My 3 friend. o'clock in the morning, <laughs> central oh time. I started calling her friends. I just started in my phone, started with Alexa, who was her best friend, best friend since she was four forever, years old. Yeah. And, and Alex, and I just started working my way through the phone. And that was all we knew at that point. And then we got to the hospital in Bismarck. And um, when we walked in, we were met by another highway patrol officer. And um, he told us, I'm getting shaky. <laughs> he told us that Shana was in surgery and that she would be coming out soon. And he said um, it was a drunk driver driving the wrong way down the interstate. He's been charged with a DUI and now two counts of of vehicular homicide. Is that how you found out? That's how I found out. Yeah, because they were both kids. And so I remembered he was tall, and I remember just looking up at him again. And I said, was Taylor one of them? And he said, yes. He said, Taylor and Abby. Connie found out days later that at the same time, Abby's father was already in the ER that night. Her family had been notified, and he had come to identify his daughter's body. He witnessed the officer telling the Monsons about what had happened. So as soon as that conversation took place, we got whisked into a waiting room where the um, surgeon came out and told us that she was very, very critical. That, that, he, that he did everything he could, but he said things just don't look good at all. The chaplain arrived and took the family to the ICU where they saw their daughter. She was laying in bed, hooked up to all these machines and monitors, mm-hmm. and she was bandaged. And Could you recognize her at no. all at first? No, nope. it's like they told me that was my daughter, but I mean, like what the heck? Yeah, I I really, I didn't. She didn't physically look like my daughter. So many machines and monitors, doctors, nurses, surgeons, staff. It was overwhelming. The medical staff and technology working to keep Shana alive. Connie said they were gentle but informative about what was going on. I don't know, 15 minutes or a half hour or so after we got to the ICU, then the um, ICU intensive, I'm not sure what his actual title was, intensivist or whatever, the head doctor of ICU (laughs) um, came in and took us out of the room and took us over to a computer monitor. And he was showing us all the different brain brain Brain. bleeds that she had. Blades. Yeah. The brain <laughs> bleeds. Yeah, he was concerned that her um, optical nerves had been severed, so he was afraid that she was blind. Um, and he he told us about all these different things that they could do to help her, um, like breathing tubes and things like that. He said, but we're not doing anything for at least 48 hours because we really don't think she's going to live 48 hours. 
I've been on so many inns after, yeah. And when he told us that, I remember just kind of turning and looking at her dad, and it's like we were numb. We couldn't respond in any way. Mm. I mean, we couldn't. We couldn't react. It's like we couldn't cry. We couldn't. We couldn't speak. We were in shock. Connie made more phone calls, asking, begging everyone to pray, and telling family they needed to come to the hospital immediately. One of the first to arrive was Shana's best friend from the age of four, Alexa Martell Steve, followed by other roommates and friends. More and more people flooded the hospital to pray for Shana and support her family. It was, yeah, it was just really really overwhelming I think at the point but it was just so heartwarming to have everybody uh, coming cool, as soon yeah. as they did um oh my gosh everyone obviously cared about me more than when thought they would <laughs> but as the day went on um and I all when my dad got there too oh, I was walking back to ICU with him and a few years before that, I had bought a cemetery plot beside my mom and dad's. And he said to me, he said, you remember you have that plot? And I said, yes. And he said, I want Shana buried there. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Because he said that I would die. Everyone did. And I said, Dad, hopefully we don't have to get to that point. Yeah, so I said, let's cool. deal with that when that time comes. Um, and so, like I said, the day just went on. Um, we would get updates from the doctors, but none of the updates were very promising. Alexa remembers the night well, as well as the last time she had seen her lifelong bestie earlier that June. And the last time I saw Shana before her accident was we met for sushi in Grand Forks because that was something we both really enjoyed to do. And told me all about her trip to London, and it was it was really great to see her because I um, I was going to be turning 21 in a couple weeks, and then I was able to see her and kind of like we talked about going out together now that we were both officially 21, and that was really exciting. On the night of June 26th, Alexa was also in Bismarck. She was on a date with her now husband. They had made plans to go to dinner and a movie, then spend the weekend fishing at her parents' lake cabin. So we woke up at about 7 in the morning to get going to go fishing. And I had a voicemail from Connie. And I, I very distinctly remember being like, oh, Connie, Connie must be calling me because my birthday is coming up. Soon. And I never really thought otherwise until I listened to the voicemail. And it was Connie telling me that Shana had been in a very bad accident and she was in the hospital in Bismarck. Oh. And so um, not, not a birthday phone call at all. They headed straight to the hospital. Full social circle. She was very dedicated to her friends. She still is very dedicated to her friends. And um, she's just a great friend. She has the time that she puts into having her friendships. And she's able to give each, like, she, like, waters her plants, like her friend plants. <laughs> if that isn't too What a good to analogy. No, that's a really good analogy. And she does. She does. She's such a good friend plant waterer she knows what to do she's anyway so just all these people were coming to come support Shana because she had been given a very grim chance of survival that first 48 hours hundreds of people flooded the hospital 
one point, I counted 50 of her friends and family just sitting in like the main ICU area. And then there were tables and chairs wrapping all the way out, and we had people. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, oh gosh, you know, it's a whole bunch of yeah. people like what in the world, yeah. But I think one of the, the, the most promising things within those first two days, um, so this happened like very early Saturday morning. Yes, did, yeah. Sunday morning, my sister's pastor held a prayer vigil. And we filled the chapel in the hospital with all her friends and family. We filled the chapel oh, awesome. and we were all holding hands and praying. Oh my gosh, that's so And horrible. people think I'm really crazy, but there was just this feeling. I could feel it from the top of my head and it was almost like a blanket or something just covering me and it just it was moving down my body. It's and like at that point, okay. <laughs> at that point, it's like, she's going to be okay. The hours went by in a blur, Connie said. So much to process, so much pain. Connie says she spoke to Taylor's mom sometime mid-morning after she had finally been notified. Because Taylor used her mother's maiden name as her last name, it had been more difficult for authorities to track her family down to make notification. Connie was also able to contact Abby's mother through Taylor's family, as the girls had been longtime friends. While Shana's family prayed, waited, and hoped for signs of a miracle, Taylor and Abby's families were processing losing their beloved daughters and planning funerals. It was surreal. Just days earlier, the girls were planning for a fun weekend get-together, and now they were just gone. Forever. Final. No more get-togethers. No more smiles. Nothing. No college graduation. No weddings. No children. All because a man with a previous DUI conviction continued in his criminal behavior. And this time, two young women paid with their very lives. For Shayna, she was unconscious and oblivious to any of this. The first crucial 48 hours came and went, and Shayna was still hanging on. They, they kept doing um, CT scans and, you know, say, well, there's really no improvement. But then the 48 hours passed, and she was still holding her own. And so we moved ahead with surgery where they um, put the trach mm -hmm. in. And they put a feeding tube in for nourishment. Yes, and then he paused. And then did I breathe all by myself the whole time? I think no, so. Okay, never mind. In the beginning, in the, beginning um, the ventilator was helping oh, okay, you breathe. Okay, well then never mind. You I'm were doing sorry. a good majority of it yeah, on your own, okay, but the ventilator was helping. Okay. So you were breathing some on your own. Yes. Yeah, so that's yes. great, yeah. Um, and so they went ahead and they did those two procedures and then like a day or so after that then they put in a central line for her medication um, to take all the IVs and everything out and so every step of the way you know we would see just enough improvements that they were able to move ahead with those. Even though Shana was unconscious and really doesn't remember anything for quite some time Connie says she remembers 
two very distinct signs early on that Shana was there somewhere inside her comatose body. And when her friend Katie walked in the room, I don't remember if she ran into something. Something stupid happened. And she started laughing. And Shana's heartbeat immediately increased. See, that's what I think. People can feel things. Yes. I, I don't remember that though, and then But your body, yeah. you <laughs> reacted. Yes. And I, I even said to Katie, I said, I think she recognized your laugh. She also responded when her Aunt Barbara visited with her. Shana had a tear roll down her cheek. Shana's older sister, Carrie, was overwhelmed with what was going on, but also overwhelmed by the response of friends who had shown up at the hospital. She found sanity in spending hours in the middle of the night once the other visitors had gone home, reading Harry Potter books aloud to Shana. The sisters, who were not quite five years difference in age, both loved Harry Potter. Harry Potter, though, she loves Harry Potter. Still does to this day. Yes. Woo. Read every book how many times? <laughs> I do not know. I can't Several. Do, yeah. Several times. Yeah, my daughter's that way. She's read them all four times. I'm like, there's other books oh to read. Gosh, yes. And then seconds, not like other, other books are fine, but Harry Potter is so dang awesome. Yeah. But Carrie loved yeah. Harry Potter just as much as Shana did. So hey, they... Mom. Not five years, five years minus one week, minus two weeks. Oh, sorry. Yes, there, that's her true personality coming out there. She, um, five years minus two weeks. Yeah, yes. not quite five years, like four years. Carrie's... And like 40, no, for how many weeks are in a year? 52. 52, 52. so four years and 50 weeks older than me. <laughs> always been that way though it's, it has to be exact <laughs> still Shana didn't wake day after day that first week her parents took turns keeping a near round-the-clock vigil by her bedside Connie walked into the IC unit one morning and was greeted by Shana's surgeon who was smiling but when he saw me walk in he said go back there I think you'll be very happy and so I remember just running down the hallway <laughs> and I burst into her room and she was laying in her bed and her eyes were open and she was blinking. And I, he must have been running right behind me because when I saw that, I turned and he was right behind oh me God, with one of the biggest smiles I've ever seen. That was the first time you had seen her eyes. Yeah. Oh. And then I think it was probably that day too. They were finally able to start moving the ventilator and you know all the equipment they Get were rid of it, they were finally able to so start like, oh moving gosh, some of that you can you can like do everything by itself we can take this way yeah. <laughs> and so it was at that point too as they started removing all of the tubes and everything it's like that's my girl i see her beautiful face again after she regained consciousness she started physical therapy then speech therapy in addition to her significant physical injuries, including being paralyzed on her right side from the impact of the crash, she had also suffered a traumatic brain injury. Ultimately, Shana would spend three weeks in the hospital in Bismarck before being flown to Denver for more extensive therapies. 
when she should have been preparing to start her senior year of college, she was instead meeting a new team of medical specialists. It is a tragic irony that a young woman who had maintained a 4.0 in high school, who had a 4.0 in college, whose brain had always shown off, was now lying in a hospital bed with medical staff doing brain stimulant exercises to wake her up and get her brain functioning again. And it was all preventable. Although nearly a month had passed since the fateful crash, Shana had still not been told about the crash and her friend's deaths. Connie says she was fortunate that her employer, Southwest Multi-County Corrections, allowed her a flexible work schedule and to work remotely when she needed to be in Denver. This allowed her to keep her medical insurance for Shana. And an old college friend, who was a pilot, was able to add her to his buddy plan so that she could fly standby from Dickinson. Otherwise, Connie said the added financial stress would have been unbearable. She has much gratitude for what these kindnesses meant to her and her family. This also made me really think about how messed up this is. We all know the high cost of medical care in America, even if we don't have any catastrophic illnesses or injuries. But I never stop to think about folks whose injuries are literally through no fault of their own. Shana's medical cost would be beyond astronomical without medical insurance. And without an employer willing to work with an employee in this situation, the job that provided the benefits would be gone. I digress, but another podcast topic perhaps. Back to Shana. In Denver, Shana faced many more surgeries for a myriad of injuries from the crash. At one point, she had casts on both arms and both legs to get them back straight. Oh gosh, you had you had surgery on your legs and your toes. That's what it was. Because from laying in bed, her her feet had had gone into a weird position and her toes had curled. And so they did a surgery to release the tendons under her toes and to stretch her Achilles so they could straighten all of that out. And um, so I, I flew down for the surgery, and I think it was a few days after that I had come back home, and a few days after that she had her first communications since this all happened she typed a message into an iPad. And the very first thing she said on that was, Hello, Hello. I'm alive. alive. Shana had not regained her speech. By mid-September, she was becoming more conscious of her surroundings, and her brain was more aware that something was not right. I just woke up, and then I realized I could not move my legs and everything, so I was like, what the heck, I'm like... Just saying, uh, and then I was like, okay, I'm laying in bed and I cannot move my legs. And I was like, where the heck am I? I was down there again for another surgery. I wonder if that's when they were starting, they were preparing to put your head plate back in. Okay, oh my gosh, I'm not sure, but, but I think I remember that, yeah. She huh. sat up, or she was laying in bed and she was just kind of looking around really weird. And I said, Shana, what are you thinking? And she said, she was starting to talk more at that point, and she said, I'm thinking, where am I? 
As Shana began to be awake more and more and aware of the passage of days, Connie said her neuropsychologist, Dr. Barry, suggested it was time to tell her about the crash. Yeah, that was kind of hard. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, he told me that based on the severity of her injury, he said she, she most likely won't show emotions because um, that part of her brain was very damaged and they didn't know at that point that it would actually ever even redevelop. So it made it, it made it a little bit easier telling her because she didn't react as harshly. You did ask me if the other girls went to the hospital too. Oh, and I was going to ask you if, since she doesn't remember, if she remembered there were people with her. I, I told her that Taylor was with her and that Taylor passed and that Taylor had a friend, Abby, that was with her. And then, um, like I said, she asked me then if the other girls went to the hospital too. And I said no. And no, um, they died right away, yeah, but I mean, you could tell she was processing all, all, but she didn't react as majorly, you know, as I was anticipating, yeah. and and so that made it a little bit easier for yeah. me to tell her. But then from that point on, we really started seeing more rapid improvement. From Denver. Shana would go to Quality Living, Inc. in Omaha, better known as QLI. It's a world-class facility for the treatment of brain injuries. After Shana went to Denver, her friend Alexa said she didn't see her again until the spring of 2016 when she came back from Omaha. Again, after watching her be laying in the bed for all those days, was like it was just incredible. <laughs> She walked in. She'd been like, given a 10% chance to live, and here she was she walking in. Again. Wow. I was like, oh, my God. It was just, like, incredible to see her. Um, at that point, I actually went to Omaha, and I did a 12-week field work at Quality Living, Inc. And so I know that her care that she received in Colorado and in Omaha is, like, has to be the biggest reason why she's doing so well that and her motivation as well I mean her motivation is the biggest reason why she's doing so well but the specialty therapies and the dedication they had to improving is I know why she's doing so well um an entire school year had passed before Shayna made it back home to Dickinson and Shayna should have been crossing the stage to receive her University of North Dakota diploma instead She had been in and out of surgeries and therapies. The financial, physical, and emotional toll on the entire family had been exhausting. On top of this, the Monsons and the families of Taylor Govan and Abby Rentschler were meeting with attorneys and attending hearings and court proceedings to ensure Jordan Morissette would pay for his crimes. Jordan was 28 when he killed longtime friends Taylor and Abby and critically injured Shayna. It wasn't an accident, 
and it wasn't a first-time offense. Jordan had a BAC that night of .295, more than three times the legal limit for impairment. He was blitzed, but he chose to drink. Then he chose to drive rather than stay where he was, call someone, or call a ride share. He chose to make his vehicle a lethal weapon, and it wasn't his first offense. I appreciate his sister's comments I read in the news accounts of the proceedings. Jerry Ray Morset wrote in a letter presented in court, Jordan never meant to hurt Abby, Shana, and Taylor. That's the last thing Jordan would have wanted. He will be living a mental life sentence every day for the rest of his life. Not a day will pass where he won't think of them. Isn't that enough anguish? I feel for Jordan and his family, too. It's a tragedy all around. But here's the thing. Jordan will be living. And every person alive who has a conscience lives with the effects of his or her choices. God knows I have made some regrettable decisions. And I did my best to accept God's grace, learn from them, and try not to do them again. With DUIs, it seems many people feel like they deserve to just get away with it if no one is hurt. Jordan had already been convicted of a DUI with leaving the scene of an accident. While no one was injured the first time, he did property damage. When Connie learned this at Jordan's arraignment, she said she was angry. We went to all of the arraignment hearings and everything that, um, you know, where he needed to appear. And that first time we were at a hearing, he was sitting with his back to me. I could reach out and touch him if I really wanted to. I wanted to. I wanted to just beat. He was 28, I think. 26 or 28. I think. I'm not sure. 28, I think, at the time. I was like... No, second. I think I think that like he was seven years older than me. I think so much of it because I was yeah. twenty-one. Yeah, yeah. It was his second DUI, second leaving the scene of an accident. Um, Wait, so the he first. Left the no, he wasn't able to leave. I shouldn't say that. The second time, the yeah. first time he had a DUI, he, he was left. in an accident and left the scene. Um, nobody was hurt in that accident, but he was charged with leaving the scene. Mm-hmm. There was like vehicle damage. I don't know all the specifics with that, but this was his second DUI. So, Jordan had gotten grace, and with it, he chose to continue his deadly behavior. In my book, Grace from God, the Justice System, or the person holding you accountable for something requires true repentance and change. And it's so very tragic that Jordan didn't see just how fortunate he had been the first time around and change his ways. But if you are listening, please take this cautionary tale to heart or share it with others. For months, Jordan stuck to a not guilty plea, which Connie said she had expected, having spent years working in the criminal justice system, but it had been gut-wrenching to Taylor and Abby's families. Ultimately, By the spring of 2016, Jordan did change his plea to guilty when it became obvious he would not be offered a plea bargain, and the case did not go to trial. 
You know, the, the really frustrating thing is, um, I think even the day before sentencing, he had sent a message to the judge stating how he had a friend that attempted suicide, like, I don't know, a month or so before the accident. And he was just really sad about all that. He was depressed, and that's why he was drinking. And um, he just thought that the judge should go easy on him. And the judge basically said to him, you know, I understand that there are things that led you up to that point, but ultimately you still made that decision to drive. The day of the sentencing, Victims, witnesses, and family members were able to give statements. Shana was there, and she addressed Jordan face-to-face in court. This is on YouTube for anyone who wants to watch the bravery of this young woman. I'm Shana, and you hit me. I'm the only one that survived. My My roommate died, and her friend also died. I'm sad about that. I will live in honor of them. I hope others learn from this accident and don't drink and drive. It was 10 months from the crash to the day Shana addressed Jordan in court. He focused on her when she was talking. He, he paid attention. And then when he was given the sentence, after he was sentenced, he basically said, I'm sorry. But in my mind, I couldn't really tell if he was sincerely sorry for his actions or if he was sorry that he just got sentenced to 25 years in prison. What made the decision in this case so important, it was the first case since a 2013 North Dakota law change. This would be a precedent-setting sentence. Dickinson, North Dakota is in Stark County. Sheriff Corey Lee talk to me about this and why he thinks North Dakota is near the top of the list of states when it comes to DUI arrests. So I think we're seeing um, impairment in general go up. I, I shouldn't say I think, I know. Um, you know, there's so many um, intoxicants and hallucinogens and, and uh, you know, depressants, so many things out there right now that uh, People are using and, and whether it's prescription or non-prescription it, people don't realize that uh, impairment is impairment you know and and just about anything these days uh, in that realm can cause that impairment and uh, uh, the scariest part is people who are legally impaired um, and don't realize they're impaired you know so we do see a lot of that as well North Dakota is among the most progressive states when it comes to training for traffic stops in North Dakota, every law enforcement officer is trained well, on field sobriety. I know exactly why y'all's numbers are higher. Yeah. That's why a lot of them get thrown out. Yeah, we Where teach that. Because they're not trained and yeah. it doesn't hold up. Yeah, so we're trained that in the academy. That's something we go through. Um, and then we go a step further, and, and when they take intox training, I think they, they do a little bit more of that. But I can't say this for every department, but I'll say about the majority of departments in North Dakota, our field training program also takes you through the field sobriety testing. So you're getting it two or three times in your early career there. Um, In addition, the state has training for recognizing drug impairment as well. uh, You know, we're getting more and more what we call DRE, 
officers, which are drug recognition experts. Um, you know, and that's a whole long class that these officers have to go through, and I, I don't envy them because it's boring as, as heck. But, uh, uh, you know, we need to do that now because uh, we need to be able to narrow down what they're on or at least, you know, the fact that they are impaired and these DREs are able to go in and pretty much narrow down. Is it a depressant? Is it, a, you know, a hallucinogen? You know, and it's pretty impressive. One good thing about being near the top states in the country for DUIs, Sheriff Lee said, is that means more impaired drivers are being cited. Typically, lower DUI numbers means calls for other types of service are up, and calls for service get first priority, as they should. DUI is quite timely, time-consuming, you know, three to be a three- or four-hour ordeal for service. Well, when you're taking a call for service and dealing with a domestic or an assault or a theft or whatever the case may be, you're not out there doing traffic stops, right? Well, in North Dakota as a whole, I think most of our departments are staffed enough, you know, where we're able to be what I call proactive. So you're able to go out and do traffic stops in addition to your call volume and that's what most departments want because we have to have a you know gotcha okay so we want to be obviously we want calls for service are priority that's our first thing we're going to do because the taxpayers expect us when they call we're going to come right but we also want to make sure our streets and our highways are safe and we're out patrolling for crimes because we're as law enforcement we're here to deter crime that is our number one thing be out there be seen and deter stupid behavior when calls for service go up DUI numbers go down. Places with fewer officers per capita, but a larger population, California, Florida, large metropolitan areas, Lee says, simply don't have much time to focus on traffic stops. It's just simple math. What happened to Shana, Taylor, and Abby just doesn't happen very often in North Dakota, he said. A lot of our DUI deaths are one vehicle accidents, people rolling over on, on a country road in the middle of nowhere, mm -hmm. um, basically affecting themselves. Are they falling asleep or are they, you know, we don't know because they can't tell us because they're not around anymore. Um, but they have alcohol in their system, so it comes back as an alcohol-related crash. We don't see a lot of, like, this story here. That's mm -hmm. fairly rare for us. Unfortunately, Lee said, with the rapid legalization of marijuana across the country, he expects that could change if young people are not educated in the serious dangers that impaired driving presents. The kids don't realize that marijuana is an impairment. They're going to be impaired driving comes along with marijuana. They just, you, I mean, when you talk about the driving aspect of peace, they, their eyes pop open and they, they just didn't realize that was a thing, you know. Um, the, the stigma with drunk driving or impaired driving is always alcohol. Alcohol, it's been that way for years. Well, um, that's why people don't realize, um, you know, impairment isn't just alcohol, it's so many other things. When we spoke, Lee said he expected recreational cannabis to pass on the November 2022 ballot in North Dakota, but it was defeated by a vote of about 55%. But soon he is correct and the majority will turn. And sadly, there will be deaths as a result of impaired driving under the influence of marijuana as a result. Lee said for a DUI first offense with a BAC between 0.08 and 0.15, a driver loses their license for 90 days. 
and if the BAC is 0.16 or higher, it's 180 days. That's pretty significant for a first offense. The North Dakota State Legislature passed these stricter DUI laws back in 2013 to address drunken driving, and Jordan Morissette's sentence would be the first significant case under the new law. House Bill 1302 was signed into law by Governor Jack Dalrymple and took effect in August 2013. At the time of the signing, the governor said, quote, The new law is enforceable, it is a strong deterrent, and it will help save lives. End quote. In addition to stricter penalties for DUIs and increased jail time, one of the most significant changes this law brought about is the requirement for repeat offenders to participate in the state's year-long 24-7 sobriety program. The program requires complete sobriety, and participants are monitored and tested twice a day for alcohol use, or they may wear a continuous alcohol monitoring ankle bracelet, test positive even once, head straight to jail. Connie Monson said the new law hadn't been tested in a serious DUI crash involving death until the crash involving the girls. Well, so the accident happened in 2015. So this was the first case of its kind to be heard in the state of North Dakota involving the vehicular homicide and vehicular injury from a DUI since those new laws went into effect in 2013. So our judge didn't have anything to go by as far as precedence. You know, he he knew that he was the first one trying a case under these new laws, and he also knew that whatever decision he made was setting precedence for future cases. On May 24th, 2016, Judge David Reich sentenced Jordan Morset to 25 years in prison and said he hoped it would be a deterrent for others. The breakdown is 20 years with 10 suspended for a five-year probation on each of the homicide counts and five years on the injury count to be served consecutively. Morissette, who admitted he had been self-medicating with alcohol for his anxiety and depression at the time of the crash, apologized and asked for forgiveness. In a later separate civil trial, a jury awarded $1.2 billion to the families of Shana, Taylor, and Abby, one of the largest civil judgments in history. But on appeal to the North Dakota Supreme Court, it was reduced to just $175 million, $50 million for Taylor and Abby's families, and $75 million for Shana and her family for her continuing cost of medical care. The jury in that case said punitive damages should not have been awarded. As much as is even possible, Connie says she believes that justice was served. No amount of time or punishment can undo the horrors of the crash or bring back Taylor and Abby. Connie knows how fortunate she is to still have her daughter, and she thinks about the other girls' families often. But she says she also thinks about the man who made the terrible decision to get behind the wheel of his truck that night in 2015. I have thought of, of Jordan often, 
he was so intoxicated he doesn't remember the accident or he says he doesn't remember and i totally believe he doesn't you know based on his level of intoxication so then on the other side of the spectrum can you imagine waking up in a jail cell not knowing what happened being told that you killed two people and that a third person is fighting for her life you know was he injured I don't no, think he I was wasn't. Injured. Oh, no. Yeah. But um. Then he was in a pickup truck, right? Yes. Yeah, so okay, Hopefully, happened. anybody with a conscience, that would be devastating. Yeah. Today, Shana's friend Alexa, now married to the man who she was on a date with the night of the fateful crash, is an occupational therapist herself. And she says the treatment Shayna has received has made all the difference in her recovery. I remember being scared of her falling a lot. And now when I see her, I'm not scared of that anymore. Like her, her walking looks really great. Her ability to understand her has also improved significantly. Like her clarity of her speech has improved immensely. Um, her capacity to converse also has improved quite a bit. Like you can have more like in-depth conversations um her memory also seems to have been really good and like she's able to retrieve more long-term memories as well like we're able to talk about things from like oh my god well we've been friends for 24 years so things from like 20 years ago or something like that life is it's returning to more and more normal i mean the fact that she was even able to live independently i think is incredible i'm so proud of her um because i mean when this when i first started it kind of was like what is gonna be her life 10 years down the road and so the fact that she's been able to graduate college and live independently is like astounding just as goofy just as loving and like like a good friend as she's always been um i know her like college i mean she did it that that, that would have been very very difficult to come back after all those years and pick up where you left off but she did it it doesn't surprise me because she is so determined and motivated to do the things that she wants to do can't really brain injuries is that her motivation and determination has not waned it's continued the whole time so i know covid kind of put a damper on some things like it did for everybody but she was still determined to return to college and she did that was i mean seven years ago her accident was and so for her to keep her high level of motivations to keep going Mm -hmm. is incredible the university of north dakota gave Shana the option of completing her last hours of study online, but Shana's stubbornness, as well as her smarts, has returned full force. I did it all in person. Wow. Her very last class was a capstone, (laughs) and she could have done it online, but they strongly recommended that she do it on campus. On campus. So I was like, hey, Mom, can I go back to campus this year? And then my mom, she's like, okay, I guess you can try it. Shana Monson got her second chance to walk across the stage six years later than she had planned to, but she did walk across that stage on May 14th, 2022, to earn her Bachelor of Science in Biology with a minor in Chemistry, defying her 10% odds of survival, and she did it with a perfect grade point average. She is as determined as ever, and Alexa has no doubts Shana will find a way to do anything she sets out to do. We talk a lot about um, positive neuroplasticity and negative neuroplasticity here. And the kind of the idea is that, like, 
if you want things to get better, they will get better. But if you don't want things to get better or you're not interested in trying or you just think you're stuck in the mud, you're going to be stuck in the mud. And so I think Shana has always had this kind of lighthouse in the in the storm for her that she wanted to get better and do these things and she had goals for herself. And so her having these goals and um, the drive to do it, I think that it's just she has immense positive neuroplasticity. Her brain is, when it is rewiring itself after her injury, it's doing so in a more positive manner, which I think leads to her like very pleasant personality and being so fun to be around because sometimes people, once they get in their accidents, they're very down on themselves and then it just kind of snowballs down into like despair. And Shana's support group is also very, very excellent. Like her parents and their supportive nature and the drive to help her get better too. But then also holding her accountable for things, I think is really probably why she's doing so well. I mean, one thing, this is like, seems so small, but Shana's bedroom is in the basement and like they kept it down there. They could have moved it upstairs so she didn't have to do stairs. They were like, nope, you're going to have to keep climbing stairs. You're going to have to know how to do that. And I think just stuff like that is like really important to return to normalcy for her. And her family are kind of like the picturesque how to navigate a brain injury. Shana has been sharing her story and has become an important part of a strategy North Dakota began in 2018 by Governor Doug Burgum called Vision Zero, with the end goal being zero traffic fatalities due to preventable choices. The program educates people and encourages them to take personal responsibility when getting behind the wheel. For more information about this program, visit visionzero.nd.gov. We will look at measures other states are enacting to combat impaired driving in a later episode, as well as a proposal Jada Bright's sister-in-law Jennifer and I hope to find support for from Mississippi legislators to strengthen DUI law enforcement accountability in the state. Join me next time where we will be heading back south to my hometown of Gulfport, Mississippi, where DUIs are as common as the tide coming in. The next two episodes involve what we call Old Coast Families, families that have been there for generations and have invested their lives in the community. If you ask locals about these cases, they remember, and many have a story about one of the people involved or how they're related to them. In episode seven, the fatal crash involves two Old Coast families. One, a woman on a mission to kill her neighbor that night, her own words, and the other, a happily married couple just out for their regular evening stroll. Special thanks to Louisiana Christian University for partial funding for this project. Proverbs 21, 21.